Welcome to Spectrum, the show that discusses news and topics that affect Southern Nevada and the surrounding communities. Now your host, Jim Tofty. Welcome to this new edition of Spectrum. I've got two guests on the program this morning. Later, actress Brooke Shields joins me. We'll discuss her earlier iconic film roles and then a change of course doing comedy and working with such legends as Bob Hope. But my first guest is a well-known financial advisor, Ken Himmler, who is about to host a Las Vegas reality show that focuses on helping small businesses. I've got Ken on the line right now. First of all, welcome to the program and tell me about this sell it or max it. Well, thanks Jim for having me on the show first off. And uh, we came up with the idea of sell it or max it. Uh, My wife and I have run a financial planning firm that focuses on businesses and retirees, people in their 50s or older running businesses are successful. And we noticed that one thing that was always present within business owners is they had this giant dream, the American dream to start a business, become an entrepreneur in the United States and make tons of money and have free time and you know, have the American dream. But what they really end up with is 70, 80 hour work weeks, overload of government bureaucracy, excess taxes, you know, managing employees, and sometimes, in most cases, missing, you know, daughters, dance recitals, and giving up on a lot of the balance in their life. And it's not because that that is the prerequisite to owning a business. It's because we are never trained in school. We're trained in history and math, but never on how to run a business. And many of the problems that these business owners encounter just take away so much from their life. And we have been helping businesses in trying to balance that. And we said, you know, it's time that we really help the business owners understand that there is a different way to do it. And you normally need a team of people. And that team of people usually costs a lot of money. And there are certain people, business owners, that get to a certain point in their life that just can't deal with it anymore. They just don't want to deal with it. And they don't know if they should sell their business or, you know, is there a better way to run their business? So we took... What we felt was a very uh, great show for business owners, which is The Profit, and we took another show, which is Love It or List It, and we said, what if we came up with an idea that we bring in business experts and we create two competing teams? One team will come in, and that will be made up of expense reduction. It will be made up of accountants and tax people. It will be made up of people that are logistics, meaning helping route maybe product or cash flows, maybe HR or people that can help the business owners coach on how to manage and lead teams of people. That's one team. That's what we're going to call Team Maxit. And then we bring in another team, which is Team Sell It. This is a team that will come in and get competing bids on what that business would look like before Team Maxit restructures it and then after. And at the end of the show, the business owner will be able to determine whether they want to continue to run the business under a completely new structure, meaning more profit, maybe more free time, more balance, maybe a better lifestyle, or maybe they just want to sell it and just take a check and sail off into the sunset. I saw a couple of the audition tapes from some of these uh, business owners. I think one was a carpet cleaning business, another runs a bakery. And in both cases, they have great ideas for their businesses, but they really do need help. You know, having a great idea is very different than executing a great idea and having the people to help you execute it. You're right, Jim. So you partnered with this group called Marketing 360, which, uh, why is that so important for you? Well, it's interesting. Marketing 360, along with, uh, we've got some other partners in there, which is um, 
a legal plan, um, live plan, which is a product that builds out business plans and helps track and increase the profitability of the company, Marketing 360, uh, because I think that a lot of business owners, just what you said, Jim, they have great ideas, but how do you sell that idea and how do you sell it to the masses? What are your distribution channels? And that's what Marketing 360 brings to the table is you see so many of these people out there struggling in the digital age, especially people in their 50s or 60s that didn't grow up in that age, and they struggle with that. Business owners struggle with that. So Marketing 360 doesn't just bring the do-it-yourselfer mentality because that's the problem. Uh, probably one of the greatest and worst things that ever happened to business owners was the Internet. You know, you can go out and do anything yourself, but do you do it well? Well, Marketing 360 brings the expertise of actually assigning a sales marketing person to you to build out your entire digital platform and bring more customers and revenues in. The other partners that we brought in, like LivePlan, LivePlan is a great company that is really focused on helping a business owner understand where they are with their metrics, understanding where they are with their business plan, which most businesses don't even have a plan, and helping them gauge and control and watch things. You know, Peter Drucker said something great. He said that which cannot be measured cannot be managed. And most businesses that we run into, they have terrible systems for measurement and management. Uh, we also have another partner called Bottom Line Savings. And this is a company that works with very large companies because they have expense reduction strategies. And this is one of the things that many businesses struggle with. How do you cut down expenses to keep the profitability margin high as you can get it? So we've got some great partners that are going to be working on the two teams within the show. And the real goal here is to help these business owners get to a whole new place that they've never even believed that they could reach. What are team members also playing for? Well, the team members aren't really playing for anything other than being able to show what their expertise that they can bring to the table. And of course, they're going to get some great PR. They get to see, they get to show, you know, the nation what a business owner can do if you have the right partners. So the business owner is the real winner in this because in the end, they're going to get a choice of both, which is going to improve their lives, whether they want to sell this thing and just take a big check or whether they want to continue to run the business, but under a whole new restructure. I know that you guys are shooting the pilot episode very soon. How have you advertised that you're looking for people to be on the show? Well, right now it is, uh, it's through digital marketing, right through Marketing 360. We're the cooks that eat their own cooking. Marketing yeah. 360 is digitally advertising this through all the social media in addition to creating the webpage, which is sell it or max it. That's sell it or M-A-X it.com. And we're accepting all the casting applications, the initial casting auditions through that website. And it will be soon launched on TV in addition to uh, some other media. You mentioned it earlier is that uh, some of these business owners, they're sometimes all they're looking for is an exit strategy and they need to know how to do that, right? Well, it is. But you know what I really find interesting, Jim, is that sometimes the business owners think that that's what they want. We just interviewed a very um, uh, of a great restaurant right here in Las Vegas that's got three locations. And uh, on his initial audition, I asked him, what is it that you want? He says, well, I have to work for another five years. And I asked him why. And he said, because I need $5 million. I said, why do you need $5 million? He says, that's what I guesstimate that I need to sell my business for so that I can retire. And I said, who, who, who gave you that number? I don't know. I just got, I guess I just made it up. 
why did you make that up? He goes, well, I just figured I needed, you know, like five or 6% rate of return on my money. I said, well, what are you figuring you're going to net after tax? And he said, well, I, you know, if I get 5 million, I'll net three. I said, well, what if you could sell your business for 3 million and you didn't have to pay any tax right now on it? He said, I didn't know you could do that. One of the questions I asked the business owners is if you inherited $10 million right now, what would you do? And that really is the great question to determine whether they love their business and they just don't know how to run it or they're so tired they just want to take a check and run. Most business owners lack a plan. They lack definition of purpose of how they're going to do, how, what, what they're going to execute. So our goal with this show is really not to just show what great teams of business experts can do, but help these business owners get clarity. And some of these business owners, you know, they employ five families or 10 families. Well, what if they could employ 20 families? What if they could employ 30 families and love doing it instead of hate doing it? There's a lot of benefits to just getting clarity within a plan. Well, I know, Ken, that a lot of people, especially in this town, it seems I have friends who are in business in different areas. And one of the things business owners run into is the incredible amount of state and government agencies that businesses have to deal with in terms of licensing and getting things done. Is that another thing where you can help them out? It is. And, you know, sometimes it is. Well, there's a couple reasons I would say that this is a problem. One reason is 70 to 80 percent of the time that the business owner just doesn't know to, who to turn to. You know, yeah. I tell them that your accountant is most likely not going to be the person that does that because the accountant is just recording what already happened the prior year. The attorneys sometimes are so expensive that most business owners look at and say, God, every time I call my attorney, it's 500 bucks. I'm just going to try to figure this out myself. And then when they try to do it themselves, the problem is they make one mistake and they, they incur a two, three, five thousand $5,000 penalty from the government. So it's a catch-22 for these business owners. But Jim, you are absolutely on target. Government bureaucracy and all the different forms and returns and penalties that you can incur make it literally a battlefield for the business owner. One case in particular that comes to mind, because I think there were three different TV stations that ran the story and that it was a craft brewer here in town, here in Las Vegas, who, because of the government shutdown that we went through recently, their plan to either expand or, or do other things was completely put on hold and it backed them up several months. I actually, the one of the interviews that we did was uh, Gluten Zero Bakery out in Henderson. And yeah. it was something that was very similar where government shutdown or the government came in and basically said that we're not going to give you your permit or shut down. I don't know all the details to it, but you know, Jim, that's really a part of a good business plan is to make sure that you are not considering that the Titanic will never sink. This, a lot of business owners just have too much optimism. They trust too much. It's kind of like the engineers on the Titanic. Well, the Titanic will never sink. And oh, by the way, you'll never run into an iceberg. The attitude yeah. is you, you can sink. And if you're going to sink, at least put the lifeboats on the boat. The right. lack of the business plan that most business owners uh, incur or, or experience is because they don't put the lifeboats on the boat. They just think everything's going to run smoothly. Ken, you're a financial advisor, but you're also going to be hosting this show? So do you have to stay neutral? Or, or I mean, how is that going to work? Well, you know, we own a very unique firm. We have a legal doc prep firm. We have an accounting firm. We have a financial planning firm. And we also have a business consultancy firm. So we, we are not really interested in what uh, we bring to the table. We're more interested in what these other partners are going to bring to the table, whether they uh, end up selling the business or whether they end up maxing it 
our goal is really to bring the end result for the business owner of, of opening their eyes and saying, look, at, you didn't know that you could do this. By the way, it's that time of year. So what do you think are, just to get slightly off topic, but what are some of the tax mistakes that people make at this point? Well, I think, you know, being an accountant now for 35 years, I can tell you that uh, many of the mistakes are because people believe that accountants are proactive. And I can tell you from being in this industry, they're reactive. We, you know, people will bring their information to the accountants at the, the end of the, or the beginning of the year of what already happened the year before, as opposed to at the beginning of the year, looking out and saying, wow, if I maneuver this into this type of entity or this type of tax classification, or uh, there's a uh, good example is when people go to sell a business. Most of the time, there's no planning that goes into it. They sell the business and they end up paying 30, 40, 50% in tax. And that could have all been avoided if they would have just had a plan in place. It's the biggest expense past a house and a car that you and I will ever incur the rest of our life. And if the laws are there where we can legally reduce tax, I'm not saying going in any gray areas, but we can legally reduce the tax. It's our American right to do so. This town seems to be going through uh, another big building boom at the moment and pro sports moving in and all that stuff. So what should longtime homeowners do? Should they sell now or hold out a bit longer? Because it's kind of a question mark for a lot of us who have been here for over a couple decades. Well, look, I'm always a, a big believer in your personal residence is a terrible investment. It's not because you have to live in it. And if you really computed the net rate of return, which is what you put into the house in improvements, what you put into the house in closing costs, property tax, insurance, and you really divide that by the amount that you would otherwise pay in rent, it's not a great rate of return. On average, you know, you could have been here in 2009 and 2010 and lost 50% in equity of your real estate. Now people are looking at it and going, wow, you know, the West Side went up by 20% last year in Las Vegas. What a great return. Everything reverts to the mean. And if your average rate of return in a house is 5 to 6%, and then you have to deduct all your expenses against that, it's not a great rate of return. So if you love the house that you live in, why would you sell it? Because all you're going to do is benefit two sides of the selling equation, which is the buyer and the seller, the, the real estate commissions, and then you're going to have to move and then you're going to have to improve a new place. So I'm a big believer in, look, if you love the house that you live in, don't look at it as an investment. Look at it as this is where I'm going to live. And uh, you know, if you're short on equity or short on cash, there's other alternatives. You know, there's annuitizing your house or there's other ways that you can tap the equity without having to take an actual mortgage. So to make a long answer to your question, I, I would not look at the valuations in Las Vegas as something that we would want to make a move on unless you don't like your house. By the way, as long as we're on the topic of real estate, you see these commercials all the time, Ken, with people like uh, Tom Selleck and some other people talking about reverse mortgages. What should we think about that? Because they sound so great on the commercials. Well, you know, I'm going to go against opposition as I as I have done for three plus decades. And I will tell you that I am a huge believer in reverse mortgages. And I'm going to make the disclaimer. I don't sell them. I don't make a commission on them. I have no referral fee from any reverse mortgage broker. I'm a math guy. I'm an accountant. So when I look at the numbers and I truly break down a reverse mortgage, they make a lot of sense. Uh, as soon as I'm 65, you better believe I'm going to do it. Because again, I'm a cook that eats his own cooking. The, the benefit and that I've seen, a huge benefit is uh, I used to practice in Sarasota, Florida. 
And right after Hurricane Andrew came through, we had a lot of refugees coming into Sarasota from Miami. And the two great stories of this is we had one guy that came in, he reversed mortgaged up his house. Uh, the house completely got destroyed in the hurricane. Uh, most of the insurance companies in Florida went out of business and Florida statutory insurance came in and only covered his million dollar house for $220,000. However, he had taken almost all of his equity out in the form of a reverse mortgage. And so he just let it go back to FHA and the government covered all that loss. He didn't lose it that much. Had another client that came from uh, Homestead into Sarasota and she had her house completely flattened with a hurricane. Although she was a Cuban refugee and she believed everything should be paid off. So she had her house completely paid off. Well, when the hurricane came through, her million five house, which is where she had all of her savings stashed, got blown over. Yet the state only covered $220,000. She lost a million three. Had she reversed mortgage that, she could have taken all the equity out and the federal government would have covered all the negative equity. So there's benefits past the reverse mortgage that a lot of people just aren't looking at. However, reverse mortgages have a very sketchy start. They started about 30 years ago in California by con artists and they were designed to bilk the elderly out of their uh, deeds in their home. However, when Obama got in office, he took over and he cleaned up the reverse mortgage. He made them FHA mandatory. He required FHA uh, negative equity insurance as a mandatory requirement. So now as a person that feels like my job is to protect my client, I think that they're a wonderful vehicle. Just don't do a reverse mortgage if you plan on moving in the next two or three years because that negative equity insurance goes on at the front end. And so this is why our good friend Tom Selleck is involved now, huh, Ken? <laughs> you know, the math makes sense. It just it, When you look at it, the math and the accounting side of it, the, the financials make sense. But, you know, I can tell you that people bring beliefs. You know, it's, it's what Einstein said. You know, the only other thing that's harder to break than an atom is a belief. And when you have a belief about something, no matter how it could be right, if you believe believe it's not, then you're not going to do it. And that's the sad part about reverse mortgages. People are holding on to their 20-year opinion on what reverse mortgages are. Well, thanks for sharing that. I know you know your stuff and you're a longtime financial advisor. When does the TV show Sell It or Max It, when do you think that we'll see that airing on TV? Well, we're hoping to have this thing in the can at the end of um, April. We're shooting it here in Las Vegas, April 18th through 20th. And then, of course, it goes off to you know post-editing and that usually takes about a month or so You know, out to bid for the different networks to buy. So we would hope to see this sometime in the fall of 2019 to the end of 2019. Well, good luck with it because we sure do like our uh, small business owners here in this town. Anything you can do to uh, help those people and families is much appreciated in this market. Ken, it was great talking to you. And and if people need more information, where should they go to? Well, visit the webpage, submit your application and go to sellitormaxit.com and or they can go and find us on either Facebook or LinkedIn or any of the popular social media sites. And this way you can follow the show and you can get behind the scenes. And there's even a backstage pass if we're going to invite a couple people on set while we're shooting. Great information, Ken. I appreciate you joining me this morning. Great, Jim. Thanks for having me on. My next guest is the wonderful actress, Brooke Shields. Hey, Erica. Come on in. How did you get here so fast? I just saw you in Salem. They choppered me in. Oh, and I see you're having a little party, too. Is she here? Huh? Who? Sabrina. I know about you, too. I saw you today kissing in the doctor's lounge. You told me I was the only one. (laughs) Look, I know I should have told you this a long time ago, but I am not Drake Ramore, okay? I'm not even a doctor. I'm an actor. I just pretend to be a doctor. Oh, my God. Do the people at the hospital know about this? (laughs) 
That was Brooke Shields in a very hysterical and surprising, at the time, role on the sitcom Friends, where she played Joey's stalker. Brooke will talk about the importance of that particular role after a life of controversy beginning with her appearance as a child prostitute in the film Pretty Baby. As her modeling career blossomed, she starred in such films as The Blue Lagoon and Endless Love, but it wasn't until later in life that she found out what she really loved, which was to do comedy. We will talk to Brooke about all that as we welcome Brooke Shields. Hi, Brooke. How are you today? I'm great. How are you? Fantastic. You know, I wanted to uh, tell you right at the outset that I recently saw an appearance that you did on the Johnny Carson show, and I know that you were on there a few times, but in on this episode, you were just getting ready to go to college. It was just so sweet because you were you were so genuinely excited. Do you remember much about that? Um, I do, actually. I was on so many times, but, um, you know, I I think that I always knew in my heart that university was going to be, or education was going to be my, the thing that saved me. And not, not that I was in the risk of not being, uh, needing to be saved, but I think in this industry, it's so, you see it devour people. And I was so excited, been working so hard for so many years, that I was going to, I got to say no, you know, to work and just be a student and, you know, eat pizza and all night long. <laughs> bury myself in books and get new friends and be in theater and there was a, just a huge liberty that it afforded me. I totally understand that. And when I hear someone like you or a Jodie Foster who who did basically the same thing, and I think that a lot of people were critical because they how could they give up this this lucrative uh, acting or modeling career to, to go to school? Well, you know, I think it is a very it's tempting because they say that to you. They say, "Oh, you're gonna you're gonna lose your ground. Well, yeah. you're gonna you're, you know you know you're gonna lose. Someone's gonna so you go take your place. And to be honest, it did happen. Like, you know, their worst fears sort of did happen because there was a momentum. And I never, it took me years to get it back again. But, but what I got in return gave me decades, not just years, you know. So I think if you're going to take time away, that's when to do it, to refocus. I was a big fan of, of your sitcom, Suddenly Susan, and I could see how much that you were enjoying kind of turning things around a little bit and making people laugh. It must have been a great time for you. I think those are the four probably best years of my career. Um, I, I just, I've never known I could have that much fun. And I, made, I met my best friend, and I made people laugh daily. And, you know, I've never really been allowed to be... You know, I was always provocative or, you know, darker or sad or all of these things. And inside, it was like this thing that got unleashed that I always knew was there, but nobody let me do it. I mean, nobody asked me to do it. Let's put it that way. I'm not sure people are aware of the fact that you did something like 27 Bob Hope shows. So that kind of shows how in tune you were to the whole comedy end of things. Bob was the first, I mean, I, my, one of my movies I did when I was 13 was with George Burns. And I was like, this is, I have to do this. Yeah. By then, you know, they had seen Pretty Baby and Blue Lagoon was up. And, and all of a sudden, it was like, nobody wanted, they didn't want a comedic kid. You know, they wanted a provocative kid. And it was, yeah. it was fascinating. But then Bob, you know, got to the point where he wouldn't want to do one of his specials if I didn't do it. He was like, kid, you're my good luck charm. <laughs> you know, got to do this with me. And 
I learned so much from him and from being in those shows with him. Like, it's just... And then it wasn't until Friends that they, they invited me to be on Friends, and then that got me suddenly through this. Yeah, because you were finally, if I recall, you were finally able to get kind of a crazy role, weren't you, on that show? Yeah, and you know, if people weren't used to if you know, people that were considered... You know, like Lucille Ball, like it was, she used to be a beauty queen. I mean, she was just stunning. Yeah. She, you know, she was one of the first ones to kind of just turn it all around. And no one, they hadn't found someone that was known for looking a certain way. And to see a person like that fall on their face, it was, you know, it wasn't a new concept. I mean, if you look at all, you know, the old movies, but in our era, it hadn't really been tapped into. You had to be you know, weird looking or, or heavy or you had to have something. You couldn't be pretty or told you're pretty or said pretty or whatever and then fall on your face. You know, that was like, what? That doesn't make sense. That's a disconnect. And, you know, truth be told, it was a revelation, ironically, even though I've been trying to do it and it had been a part of our history. Would you consider that role on Friends kind of a breakthrough for you? Because I know that you've done a lot of comedic roles since then. Single-handedly, that show got me an entire career. I mean, it, it, you know, that was my, I call it my soda fountain moment, you know. Um, they didn't want me to be as crazy. I was told not to be so crazy. And I went up to the producer and I said, I said I'm really sorry, but can I please do it crazy? <laughs> I said, and they said, no, 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 you can't. You're, you're, you're too pretty and the stakes <laughs> are too high. But it's funny. And they said, no, don't do it. And I was like, well, you know, the hit show, they must know more than I do. So, and after the first run through, they screamed from the other side of the stage, sound stage, and they said, Shield, put it in. <laughs> and I thought, oh my God, they trust me, they trust me. And <laughs> I made her crazy. And I, within an hour, all these studio executives came down to the stage, and I thought it was like a tour. But it turned out they came to just check me out. And the next day, they called and they said, how would you feel about developing a show for yourself on television? Wow. I had no idea that there was that much going on with that particular episode. That's fantastic. So you're on this great show, When Calls the Heart, with Lori Loughlin and, and other great stars. And is it fun to kind of jump in and, and guest star like that? It's a little scary at first because you're coming on to a show that's been running. Yeah. They all know each other and like each other. They all have it figured out. And they have inside jokes. And they're like, oh, are they going to welcome me? And, and, they, and they were so lovely. They did. I, I mean, I wasn't surprised. They were just lovely. It was seamless. But then you also have to say, okay, I'm coming in. And this role is supposed to be, you know, supposed to stop the, stop the presses. And, and all of a sudden, you're like, oh, my God, I'm so much pressure. They're going to change their mind. Or they're going to wish they didn't cast me. Or, <laughs> you know, I think it's... Every actress, I think, goes through it in a certain way. And I thought, okay, you're going to kind of have to go ball to the wall because, you know, she's different and she's she rides horses and she plays poker and she, you know, she comes in in the middle of the night in a storm and that's who this character is. You better don't play it half, you know, halfway. We appreciate you. It was nice talking to you. Thank you so much. I, and I appreciate all the homework you did and, and, uh, and that... And, you know, watch the Hallmark show. It's really good when Cold Fire. I'm loving it. Thank you, Brooke.
Take care. And she sounds like she really enjoyed playing that rugged frontiers woman and is very happy now with her family and raising two daughters. Thanks again to Brooke Shields, who remains very busy acting to this day. And thanks to my earlier guest, Ken Himmler. If you want to get involved with his small business reality show, go to sellitormaxit.com. And thank you all for listening this morning. I do hope to see you back here next Sunday morning at 7.30. Spectrum is hosted, written, and produced by Jim Tofty. If you have suggestions on future guests or topics, please send them to spectrum at smiradio.com.